When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast, as you know, that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the insight and debate that you're all talking about in football. Now, some people would say, and certainly a song does, that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. But in fact, perhaps it's the day before transfer deadline day, which is where we are right now. And why I say to you, our loyal listeners, what we're going to tell you in the next 45 minutes to an hour is what Duncan and I understand to be the latest, very latest in any deal, which is changing, not just minute by minute, hour by hour. And therefore, um, we will bring you updates with regards to anything that goes on on our Twitter feed at Transfer Podcast and also on Duncan and I's personal Twitter accounts as well as things develop throughout the day. As you know, we record this podcast on Wednesday morning to give you the best possible information to get you through the eve of Transfer Deadline Day. Of course, Duncan, our Transfer Guru, joins me now. Duncan, I think we have to start today's podcast with um, what are some very, very bold moves by Tottenham Hotspur to satisfy manager Mercy Pochettino and indeed, I would say, if they came off, mount serious, serious bids for maybe the Premier League title and also the Champions League. Yes, Tottenham involved in a lot of deals, um, are trying to do a lot of deals and having a lot of options um, for various positions with less, considerably less than 48 hours left to do them. Um, quite a lot of agents, uh, some worrying that the, the move they expected to have to Tottenham isn't going to go through and uh, others exploring whether a move to Tottenham can go through. So I'm going to let you, I think we need to go through each one in order. There's so much happening here and then you know, join join the dots and how they connect to each other. But which one do you want to start with? Well, let's start with Christian Eriksen, Duncan. We know that um, there has been contact between the two clubs regarding Ericsson's transfer to Old Trafford. Um, my information is that Ericsson was given permission to speak to Manchester United about personal terms and his representatives, obviously, in the last uh, 12 hours. Um, on the basis that, uh, while the fee has not yet been agreed between the clubs, that because time is running out, and obviously uh, with that time being very, very precious now, um, an agreement between Ericsson and Manchester United would have to be reached. At that point, obviously, a fee could then be agreed um, consequentially. And obviously, Ericsson would obviously have to go through the uh, medical, et cetera, et cetera, all the usual um, uh, parameters of a transfer. Now, um, what I'm told is that Tottenham value Ericsson at £80 million, which for a player of his age and one year on his contract is high. But this is a standard negotiating 
stance of Daniel Levy or leverage, as we like to call him, because he is a very, very hard and excellent negotiator. But the Manchester United's value to the player is more realistic at, at around 45 to 50 million pounds based on the fact he has only one year left on his contract. And it has been stated by him that he wants a new challenge. And Mercy Pochettino has admitted, certainly privately, that Ericsson is not part of his future plans. And we will come on to where that leaves players of the likes of Felipe Coutinho um, in due course, or indeed Paulo Dabala, for that matter. So I think we have a standoff here um, between the clubs with regards to the fee. Uh, Manchester United have a history of negotiating into the last minutes of the window for their best players. If you think in the past about Michael Carrick uh, was one of those players, um, they also had uh, another um, episode, didn't they? with um, a certain uh, striker who proved to be very, very charismatic and also enigmatic, who went uh, on deadline day as well. Um, so I think we're in a position now where it's um, deja vu in terms of negotiations between uh, Manchester United and Tottenham with regards to Christian Eriksen. Uh, how do you think it might turn out, Duncan? Because you know we've lived through this before, as I said, and um, we're now in a position where we think we've seen this before, except that in this case, Tottenham would stand to profit greatly, um, even from a reduced fee from the value that they are asking. Yeah, um, Tottenham clearly want to sell the player. They've told the agents of players uh, such as Bruno Fernandes, who they have been trying to sign, that Ericsson's sale is an important aspect of them being able to complete the deal. Uh, for those players and increase fees and uh, and pay higher wages. So Tottenham wanted to sell. I think that the fact that they've reduced the price to 80 million, um, they were previously quoting 100 million or 100 million plus for Ericsson, shows that they've come some way down. And um, and I think Manchester United's calculation that they can expect Tottenham to come down further uh, is is justified because. Um, the player wants to leave. Maurizio Pochettino doesn't want to have him in his squad anymore. He wants to get some of these high-class replacements that they've been working on in instead. Um, the difficulty, I suppose, for Manchester United is there's a sense that Ericsson would uh, probably be more interested in leaving English football altogether, um, perhaps moving to Spain, Obviously, uh, felt there was a strong chance of him going to uh, Real Madrid. That hasn't transpired. Um, I think Atletico Madrid are also hold an interest in the player. And the difficulty, of course, for Manchester United is Atletico Madrid have several more weeks to complete this deal, so they can wait, uh, see the outcome, see whether United uh, come to an agreement with Tottenham and whether Ericsson comes to an agreement with United. Um, if they don't, they know that um, Tottenham will probably still want to sell the player. The player will still want to leave and there'll be uh, less competition in terms of cash available at Old Trafford. United have briefed that they are out of that discussion. Um, I would treat that brief with a degree of caution given the circumstances. I think it is... Um, a tactic on United's part to try and show to Daniel Levy we're not going to pay 
the money you're insisting on. Um, there is one day left. If you want to shift this player, we, ha we have an out for you and we have an out for you at good money, given that he only has one year, but it's not going to be £80 million. How Levy responds to that, as you say, he has a history of taking deals right to the wire. Um, it's a more complex situation because the wire only applies for one uh, potential buyer at present. Um, but he prides himself on winning these negotiations. Um, so um, let's see if a compromise can be done there. He also has to be aware that United are looking at other players in, in these areas. Um, and interestingly, one of the other players that United are still looking at, I am told, uh, conversation late last night is Paulo Dybala. Um, so Tottenham are now involved with Dybala and have been discussing terms with Juventus. Juventus definitely want to move Dybala out and are making it plain to Dybala that is their preferred option. Dybala's had the conversations already with Manchester United. Manchester United have said they stepped away from it because they couldn't agree financial terms. Uh, Ian told us about the, the scale of salary that Dybala was looking for and the agency involved, and it is very high. But there was a deal in place, um, club to club. Paolo Dybala comes to Manchester United. Mario Mandzukic goes with him. Romelu Lukaku goes to Juventus. Uh, I am being told that that deal is still in play. Regardless of what Manchester United have briefed, um, it is still a possibility. It is still uh, one of the options that could transpire over these next few days. But obviously that will require Paulo Dybala to be convinced that Manchester United is the right place to go to. And that has not been done as far as I am told. And I believe you've got more information on where Dybala stands in terms of his choices of clubs and his options um, in the next uh, two days. Absolutely, Duncan. Um, <clears throat> I think what's um, crucial here is that uh, after the breakdown of talks uh, last weekend between Dybala, his brother Gustavo, and uh, who's his agent, and Manchester United, he returned to UV's trading ground on Monday of this week uh, to find that he had a warm reception from his teammates, but a very frosty one from new coach Maurizio Sarri, who clearly has been told that... The club's position is they would prefer Dybala to leave. They want both to recoup a transfer fee if possible, but certainly to remove his wages from their salary bill in order uh, for them to be able to facilitate the new players who they've bought in at great expense, uh, Ramsey, uh, Matty De Ligt uh, being the most expensive of those two. So there is definitely a sense at Juve of... Um, Let's make his life uncomfortable. He may want to stay here, and of course, he does have a contract, but we want to move him out. Now, I'm told by people close to the Bala camp that he is interested in a move to Tottenham Hotspur, that he likes the idea of playing uh, his football in London and in the Premier League, as opposed to the negotiations he had with Manchester United, and also that a loan deal would potentially be better for him beneficially in terms of he gets more game time, guaranteed game time, you'd have to think, um, puts himself in the shop window, and then next season he will have options with regards to where he goes next. But, as I said, Juventus prefer a permanent transfer with a fee of around 70 million euros. 
they will they will be happy to um, negotiate on a loan fee of up to 25 million euros for the player, which would be cancelled out if he, if a permanent transfer happened next summer uh, for the fee of 70 million euros. So it's a one thing that Tottenham have to think about in terms of um, do they take the loan or do they try and do the, the permanent transfer? I think the sticking point on this particular aspect of the deal is Tottenham's salary ceiling, which is Harry Kane uh, currently earns around £150,000 per week. Um, and Paulo Dybalo currently earns around £175,000 per week net. That's going to be a massive stumbling point for Tottenham. So they would need Juventus to, in some way, um, pay a percentage of Dybala's wages in order to keep Kane happy, in order to preserve that salary ceiling that we all know is not allowed to be um, broken uh, under Daniel Levy. So Dybala, I understand, has spoken personally to Mauricio Pochettino with Juventus's um, blessing and is as I said, attracted to the idea of playing for Tottenham Hotspur, who obviously, unlike Manchester United, are playing Champions League, are Champions League runners-up. And if uh, they conclude some deals that they're still ongoing, specifically uh, a loan deal for Felipe Coutinho from Barcelona, then this is an incredibly exciting attacking lineup uh, for Dybala, Coutinho, Kane, uh, Son to all play in. Um, so I think that in this instance, this is one which is going to run and run until 5 p.m. Uh, on Thursday, uh, I think, um, if unless uh, things can be resolved um, in terms of what I've just spoken about, uh, where they have to overcome certain problems. I agree with you, Duncan. I think Manchester United remains an option for Dybala, but I think that would be more likely to be a permanent transfer if United met his wage demands, which they didn't do in their conversations last weekend. Which takes us on, Duncan, to the ongoing saga of Felipe Coutinho and where he might end up, um, given what we've already spoken about with regards to Dybala and Eriksson at Tottenham. Um, what's the latest from Barcelona regarding Coutinho and a possible move in order for them to then uh, instigate their domino effect moves for Neymar? Just before we go on to it, I think it's interesting to note that from Dybala's perspective, Tottenham look like the more attractive football proposition than Manchester United at present. This is something we discussed when, when you broke the story of um, Dybala talking to Tottenham, I think uh, the week uh, last week, was that if you put the clubs up against each other in terms of football, what you have is Tottenham with a better squad, Tottenham having reach the Champions League final, Tottenham being more competitive for the Premier League, um, Tottenham being in the Champions League this season, Tottenham having a manager like Maurizio Pochettino um, capable of uh, of selling the project to a player like Dybala, um, having a better training ground, having a better stadium. Um, they have all these factors in their favour and, and I think we kind of lose... The, the fact that if you're a foreign footballer who's used to playing for a top club, and Dybala, in his case, his preference would have been to move to Spain, Barcelona, Madrid. That's what he was aiming for. So these are these are second-choice options. He's made it clear he wanted to stay in Juventus. Juventus are pushing him out. But now you present him with the two options of clubs who do want him 
in England, Manchester United, Tottenham. He doesn't appear to be assessing them on name. He's assessing them on, from a football perspective, which is better. Tottenham comes out better. Problem, financial side. Manchester United have got more money to throw at this. They've had a go. As you say, they're they're capable of doing a permanent deal, which is more attractive to Juventus and uh, putting Lukaku in it, which is more attractive to Juventus and including Mandzukic in it, again, more attractive to Juventus. Tottenham can, with all those attractive elements they have from a football perspective, compensate for the fact that they are almost certainly not going to be able to offer the same cash as Manchester United have already offered. And so let's see how that resolves itself. Kabbalah, I'm told, is an, alter- is, is an alternative to Giovanni Lo Celso. Uh, that's what they are saying to one of the agents involved in this process. So they have a deal in place with Giovanni Lo Celso, which I um, told you uh, earlier in the week. Uh, he has agreed with the president of Real Betis, 52 million down, 8 million up. Um, the player wants to come, but the deal has not been completed because the president wants to uh, look as though he's taking the negotiations down to the wire. People around that club are saying they expect Lo Celso to end up at Tottenham. However, Dybala has come in at the last minute as an alternative option for um, Tottenham in that position. And there is the possibility that uh, Betis could lose out on that sale of Lo Celso because they... um, wanted to hold to the, the very last day of the window to formally complete the transfer and Tottenham have that other option open to them. Um, Coutinho has also been presented to Tottenham uh, as an option at this late stage. Um, again, it would be a loan deal. Um, it, they've been offered a, a single season loan with a €25 million Euro loan fee, um, paying his substantial wages. Why are, why are Barcelona offering uh, Coutinho on loan um, when he's clearly a sellable asset and they, they spent so much, so much money to acquire him from Liverpool uh, recently? Well, they have an issue with salary cap. Uh, La Liga um, restricts the amount of money each club can spend on uh, players' wages, coaches' wages, agent fees um, and some elements of uh, the purchase of players. And each club has a defined salary cap, which they're not allowed to go above. And, and generally, clubs like Madrid and um, Barcelona don't get, uh, don't use their salary cap. It's the lower uh, end uh, Liga clubs that have problems with it. Barcelona have, I'm told, a, a, a serious problem with that. Um, they want to bring Neymar in. Neymar wants to come there. But Neymar's wages are obviously substantial. They have to make room on their wage bill to allow Neymar to come in. They prefer to sell Coutinho. They've tried to move Coutinho to Paris Saint-Germain as part of that deal. Paris Saint-Germain don't want to take Coutinho, which I'm told is to do with the sports director, the new sports director, Leonardo, not being a a fan of the player. Um, They would like to sell elsewhere, but it's difficult um, to find a buyer. Therefore, they've got to the stage where they're now prepared to loan the player just to get his wages off their salary cap for this season and to get a small amount of money in relative to what they paid for him uh, as a loan fee. There's also an attraction to Barcelona in the sense that if you were to put him on loan at 
um, an English club like Tottenham. Um, they've had conversations with Manchester United about selling him to Manchester United in the past. But if you were to get continue to a club like that, he has a good season, then his value increases and, and hopefully you can sell um, in a year's time or perhaps things have changed at Barcelona and there's a, there's a reason to bring him back. But that's a, it's a pragmatic move being driven by the pressures Barcelona are on under, un, because of La Liga rules. Again, um, very expensive deal for Tottenham to do. Um, again, probably only going to be a loan deal. So you're um, instead of buying a younger player with a, a, at a, a cheaper price, cheaper wages, who you will have for five years, you're taking a big name player, but you're taking serious quality. So that is obviously an attraction to them. And with Coutinho... I'm told that he is being seen as an alternative to Bruno Fernandes, um, a deal which they have um, yet to complete, despite uh, quite extensive negotiations with Sporting, and which I'm told has run into a significant amount of trouble now. What's been very interesting, Duncan, um, around this particular window, and especially as we come to the close of the window here in the UK, has been the influence of Neymar in terms of the domino effect that we've spoken about uh, in many podcasts, um, because Neymar is his transfer potentially of Paris Saint-Germain is currently influencing the potential move of Philippe Coutinho from Barcelona, from Ivan Rakitic from Barcelona. Also, the potential uh, of Ericsson moving to Manchester United, of Dybala moving to Tottenham. It's, it's a bit crazy, really, when you think about it. One player who's unhappy but is the most expensive player in football history is sitting in Paris twiddling his thumbs, waiting, effectively, for a lot of other transfers to happen before potentially opening the door for him to leave. Yes, and, and not only that, Real Madrid. I mean, the, the, late, the information I have um, on where Paris Saint-Germain stand with Neymar is that they want to avoid selling him to Barcelona at all costs uh, for the uh, basic reasons of Qatar's pride and uh, the, the, the anger they have about the way Barcelona have handled um, Neymar's situation throughout. So they're ready to sell him, as we've said for a long time. They're looking for options to avoid having to sell him to uh, Barcelona, as you said on the first podcast this week, he had been offered to Manchester United um, on loan uh, with United paying uh, the wages. And that's one of the, the solutions they've looked at. They've also offered to Juventus, they've offered to Bayern Munich. They are very in very serious discussions, I'm told, with Real Madrid over this deal. We um, I've talked about how Florentino Perez would like to have the player, has been trying to get him for a long time, but would want to get avoid, avoid becoming involved in a public bidding war with Barcelona for the player. Basically, Paris Saint-Germain are trying to work around that and have said to Madrid, we will sell to you, uh, we will do a deal with you to avoid him going to Barcelona. The issue, of course, is Neymar doesn't want at this stage to go anywhere else but Barcelona. And internally at Barcelona, you've got Lionel Messi essentially driving that deal, pushing the club to bring his friend Neymar back to Barcelona and Barcelona under pressure uh, to get it done and therefore doing things like um, setting up or trying to set up loan deals for, for Philippe Coutinho. Ivan Rakitic, 
I'm told, has uh, had the Barcelona board come to him and say, we want you to leave in this window um, as part of this uh, attempt to get the salary cut down. He has um, uh, reopened discussions with Paris Saint-Germain. Um, Paris Saint-Germain are uh, apparently interested in taking him, but don't want to wrap it into the Neymar deal. He's also been of long-standing interest to Manchester United this window. There's been conversations between Manchester United, Barcelona and the player's agent for some time. I'm told that it's also still an option for Rakitic um, and an option for Manchester United, depending how other things transpire in the market. Not first choice. Um, obviously, you can see where United are going on Ericsson, but uh, not dead, uh, still in play because they know Barcelona have to shift the player and might be able to might compromise on on price now. Um, so another part of this domino chain, and, and and as you say, Neymar sitting on the top of it, um, complaining about his life as the as the best paid player and. In, uh, in Paris Saint-Germain and the most expensive transfer of all time and trying to get back to the one club he's decided he wants to go to and the one club that Paris Saint-Germain want to avoid moving him back to. Before we move on, Duncan, I just want to um, just cap off our Tottenham Hotspur conversation. Um, uh, I was very amused this morning to see popular sports news channel um, do a possible Tottenham 11 for next season, including Dybala and Coutinho, but completely ignoring fullbacks. Um, it would be nice if people realised that football was a, a game played by 11 versus 11 rather than nine. Um, some news on Ryan Sessegnon uh, regarding a potential move to White, uh, well, not White Hart Lane, sorry, naming right stadium, as you like to call it. Um, and uh, that, that possibility of that move being completed before the deadline. Yes, uh, Tottenham in negotiations with Fulham over that deal. Um, they've offered their 22-year-old midfielder, Josh Onoma, as part of that deal. Um, I believe the transfer will go through. Um, I think there's a, a confidence on all sides that it'll be done, but the negotiations are difficult because Fulham want to ensure they get the highest price possible for um, a player that they know is a very good asset. Um, they've been asking £25 million for Sessegnon. Um, it's a classic, I think, Daniel Leverage situation where it, the prediction was always that this would get very close to deadline and it is getting very close to deadline. And obviously he's doing all this, this other stuff at the same time, but maybe the grand master plan isn't to buy Sessignon and to, to get Coutinho and, and Paolo Dybala and, and play them as fullbacks. You know, never. <laughs> oh, we'd love to see that, wouldn't we? That'd be the classic Spurs way. Let's play Dybala and Coutinho as fullbacks and uh, see what happens. Uh, we either win 10-9 or we lose 10-0. Um, before, we, before we move off Tottenham, just where Bruno Fernandes is, um, they, Tottenham, I'm told, have gone up to 70 million euros as an offer to Sporting, 60 million of that guaranteed. Um, that is not enough. Um, sporting lost their... Um, Supertasa, uh, their, their equivalent of the, of the uh, Community Shield against Benfica at the weekend in a game that was supposed to be Bruno Fernandes' last match for Sporting. They lost it in an awful fashion, losing 5-0. Um, the president of the club is under severe pressure uh, to not follow that up by selling the club's best player uh, for what would be regarded as a, a, a 
unacceptable fee. So the information I have is that the Sporting now want 80 million euros and, and feel they cannot sell the player for less than 80 million. He has been offered to Manchester United. Manchester United have not bitten on that. There is no offer from Manchester United. Um, the perception of the people involved in that deal is that Tottenham will not go any higher than they have gone. They don't think it's going to be completed at 80 million uh, because Tottenham initially believed that they could get the player for 40 to 45 million and that's why they came in uh, on the on the, the deal and started negotiating and they've gone they've moved a long way up off their initial bid an unusually high increase in bid um, so there's a pessimism there that it'll be completed but there is a sense that um, his destination could be elsewhere in Europe if that does transpire Tottenham don't go higher and they move um, for Coutinho uh, instead, secure him instead. Um, as uh, Sergio Cretinius suggested on our podcast last week, Atletico Madrid, I think, are live contenders for this uh, deal. And I think um, you will see a lot of discussion over where Bruno Fernandes goes post the English window um, closing. Um, and a very and a real concerted attempt to get that 80 million euros from another buyer uh, to satisfy the money that Sporting need to lift from the transfer, but also give them um, the ability to say we've taken um, as high a fee as you can expect for this player, and it really was impossible not to sell him. Um, his agent again uh, meeting with Sporting today to put pressure on them uh, to allow him to go to Tottenham. But uh, I think the key player here is uh, is no longer the player's agent, but it's um, Jesse Footy, who uh, Sporting have brought in to try and negotiate that sale and mandated to make this, the sale. Um, so let's see how that develops over the next couple of days. But if you're if you're expecting Bruno Fernandes at Tottenham, it's looking less likely than it has done over the last few days. Well, for those of you who were listening uh, to our Monday podcast and heard me say that I had this image of um, Christian Eriksen with a little shovel digging his way at the Tottenham training ground, I've got a feeling that Bruno Fernandes has got the same shovel at Sporting's training ground and they're going to meet in the middle somewhere across the Mediterranean Sea or indeed the English Channel and say, hang on a minute, shouldn't we be going in the other direction? <laughs> So as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, we are around 36 hours until the deadline in the UK closes. And therefore, we are asking you to just understand that these deals are switching minute by minute. Uh, and one of the ones we want to talk about now is Paul Pogba, his position. He has been courted by Real Madrid all of this summer. Um, there has been movement at uh, certainly in the Santiago Bernabeu they've spent a lot of money uh, in terms of their a bid to challenge Barcelona for La Liga next season as well as in Champions League as well Duncan Pogba has been a problem child for Manchester United this summer there's no doubt about that as we get closer to the close of the window are we getting closer to the staying of Paul Pogba at Manchester United at least for this coming six months until January? Yeah, a conversation I had last night with someone who's been working um, on the Real Madrid end of that deal is that he does not expect Pogba to leave 
Um, Madrid have made offers involving several of the players that uh, that they've been trying to shift out this summer. Manchester United have not accepted any of them. The feeling at Madrid's end is that Manchester United would continue to block that move um, and that it would be very difficult for them to do a deal with United as matters stand, as, as United's negotiating position is. But I think more importantly here is that the, the Pogba to Real Madrid transfer was driven by Zinedine Zidane. This is uh, after Eden Hazard. That was his number two choice. Get Pogba in um, for whatever money it required as the, the key new component of his midfield. Um, Zidane and Florentino Perez are at loggerheads at present. Perez has not been impressed with uh, the rebuilding of the squad and he's not been impressed with the pre-season. He's not been, doesn't like the, the temperature from the players, um, the, the, the feedback he's getting from the dressing room. Um, and I, from what I understand, and this is very much Florentino Perez in action, he is preparing the ground um, in case things don't go well through this uh, first full season back for Zidane um, and therefore is saying to himself uh, it does not make sense to spend so much money on a deal for a player like Pogba who has a history of, uh, of causing difficulties at, at his last club um, if I'm not sure that Florentino Perez will still be manager at the end of this season. So I think that that's the key factor here. Um, and the sense very much was that the deal will not happen um, as of last night. Um, forget about Paul Pogba going to Real Madrid because there are other issues at Real Madrid at present. Um, and uh, they won't be outlaying that money on, on, on that player. If it weren't Duncan that we're talking about Real Madrid, this particular situation would be almost unbelievable, um, given that you have a president who brought the prodigal son back uh, at mid-season last season to steady the ship and then promised him a transfer war chest of around 300 million euros, of which he would personally have control of a large percentage of that, which you detailed on the Transfer Window podcast in May of this year. And here we are, middle of August, La Liga season starts in three weeks' time, and already there is a rift between Perez and Zidane regarding transfer recruitment, regarding, and you said, and I think it's a very, very good phrase, the temperature of the squad about Zidane's um, methods, about the way that he has reintroduced himself to many players who are familiar to him and four others who have come in at a cost of around 200 million euros this summer already. Now, from where I am I'm looking, Madrid cannot afford to fail this season. They have basically been in the shadow of Barcelona now for so many years in terms of La Liga titles since the last one won by Jose Mourinho and also in terms of the style of play the players quality and superstar status that Barcelona possess that Madrid are really really in a situation where they have to have to produce this season now if there's a rift between Perez 
and his coach. And you'd have to say, because Perez has been doing this for a long, long time, he must have another coach in mind to bring in to Madrid if things go badly in the first few weeks of the season under Zidane. Then, you know, how is this going to resolve itself? Look, I think I think this is classic Florentino Perez. He's never he's never been hesitant about dispensing with managers. Um, they've always been expendable for him. Uh, it's it's been about putting players on the field, about winning the European Cup, um, about being the top team in Spain, and and he's always focused on players as the as the principal element in that. Had periods when he's invested heavily in a manager, but then shifted away again. Um, so, look, last season was a disaster for them in terms of, of changes of managers. Uh, and he moved back towards Zidane kind of in, in desperation in the sense that um, I'll invest in this manager and who did win consecutive Champions League for me. Give him what he wants in the transfer market. I know the squad needs an overhaul, so I'll uh, allow that this coach to be directly involved in the overhaul. Um, he's done that, and he, he clearly hasn't enjoyed, one, hasn't enjoyed the process of handing over that degree of authority when Madrid were spending so heavily for the first time for several seasons because they have been very quiet in the transfer market um, by their standards for a long time now. Um and, uh, and and hasn't enjoyed seeing the outcome through pre-season um, with a you know it was a pre-season friendly but to to be six goals down to Atletico Madrid in a pre-season friendly um, your your great cross city rivals uh, is not going to go down well with any present regardless of, of whether it's a, a proper competitive match or not it's embarrassing. Um, and when you have this tension, which we've been reporting on the podcast for quite some time now between Zidane and Perez about transfer deals, um, it does, it's not really a surprise we've got to this stage now. And you've got, I'll give you one example, James Rodriguez, who Madrid have been trying to shift all summer because Zidane wanted him out of the squad and because actually the player wanted a new challenge. Um, a journalist who's uh, very reliable on, on James Rodriguez, I think the week before last, reported that he would be staying at Real Madrid because Florentino Perez had decided he would now stay at Real Madrid and he believed in the player and he wanted him retained in the squad. And that, I think, is a very clear slap across the face of his manager, which shows you where they are when you're doing things like that um, before the season has even, even started properly. Well, some of you may have heard um, my Jimmy Rodriguez dog barking there in, um, I think, support of Duncan's view of um, the Real Madrid player. I think that's correct. I think uh, it's almost a case of uh, Florentino Perez is winding Zidane up by insisting that Rodriguez stays um, at the Santiago Bernabeu, which uh, is quite bizarre really, when you think about it because... Um, well, I say one man makes the team selection, but we know at Real Madrid that's not always the case. So we have to um, uh, bow to that particular fact. A couple of things, Duncan, we'd like to clear up before we're heading into the deadline day donkeys. That would be the fact that David De Gea still not announced. This is, again, one of the biggest transfer sagas of the summer. 
Um, we reported that um, his agent, George Mendes, was in Manchester on Monday uh, to do several different jobs. Um, but it seems that De Gea perhaps has not quite been tied down as yet. Yes, not completed. Still, still discussions on that new contract is what I'm told. Uh, expectation is that he will stay and he will sign a new contract. Um, but uh, the guidance I have is that it is not entirely complete as yet. Um, and you wonder then if there's a bit of uh, leverage on De Gea's side in the sense that United haven't really done enough to satisfy most of their fans in the transfer market. They're working on a lot of deals simultaneously still, um, still trying to, to do some extra work before deadline. Um, if they were not to achieve anything, then the ability to say, but here is David De Gea in a new contract and announce that um, the day after deadline, for example, um, would be an attractive thing. For, for Manchester United to be able to do. And you wonder if that, that uh, there's an element of that factor being involved in just this final um, stage of negotiations over the contract and perhaps trying to include something in the deal that's beneficial to De Gea um, on that basis. Well, here's a little nugget, Duncan, for you. I was told uh, by someone close to this particular negotiation that Manchester United um, have been invited... And I'm not saying they've offered, they have been invited to make a 10 million euro net bonus payment to De Gea on June 29th, 2021, during his new contract. And that, of course, coincides with the date, the very date that he signed for Manchester United in 2011. So it will be 10 years to the day that he signed for Manchester United and that they have been invited to make for him a 10 million euro net loyalty bonus on that date as part of the deal that is being negotiated. I suspect perhaps that's one of the things that's holding this up. It won't be cheap, whatever happened. This, uh, <laughs> whichever way it's structured, um, De Gea was clear that he wanted to be the best paid player at Manchester United. He wanted the same uh, level as Alexis Sanchez uh, as, a, as a reward for what he'd achieved for the club and as a recognition of his, his value as a goalkeeper. So um, to secure him will cost Manchester United a lot of money, whatever elements are included in the deal uh, to get it to the numbers that uh, De Gea and his representatives are looking for. I reckon, Duncan, that they should offer him something that Lou Macari already has, which is Macari's Fish and Chip Shop outside of Old Trafford in that little kind of uh, business district close to the stadium. They should have um, to hear Peshke Patata uh, and buy him a wee fish and chip shop and that might actually make him feel nice and wanted, etc. Does he have to use the old Trafford nets to catch the fish? Hey! <laughs> Let's hope so. They'd be very, very fresh and if that's the case. <laughs> so from De Gea's fish and chip shop to uh, Manchester City who have completed uh, what has been heralded as a very, very clever uh, deal for João Cancelo, a deal that we obviously, uh, you all are familiar with on the transfer window um, because we've been talking about it for a few weeks, if not months now. Um, Danilo going in the other direction to Juventus. Duncan, you feel like this is probably one of the best bits of business that we're going to see, not just in this window, possibly in any window. 
Well, I, I, I might not go that far, but what they've achieved there is is impressive in that Jean Cancelo is a player they identified a long time ago to upgrade their defence, um, to give them more quality at right back. Um, we first reported on this, I think, in May, uh, that they, they wanted to take Cancelo for that task. Um, Juventus had negotiated... Um, a big transfer fee and we're valuing the player at 70 million euros uh, and in the end Manchester City have agreed a deal in which Cancelo is valued at 65 million euros which makes him the most expensive um, specialist fullback in the history of the game um, surpasses the fee Manchester United agreed with Crystal Palace for Aaron Wan-Bissaka but they've offloaded um, 35 million euros of that fee by offloading Danilo a player that they didn't want a player um, who I think has played uh, less than uh, 25 uh, Premier League starts for Manchester City in his two years at the club who was on substantial wages um, who they overpaid for uh, when they signed him made him one of the most expensive fullbacks ever when they when they brought him in that, that summer of the of the of the, the defensive buys um, from Pep Guardiola, um, so to to basically to be able to do Cancelo for a net thirty million euros and take a big wage off their salary bill, Cancelo is not cheap. Um, he's he's been at Juventus, had a substantial wage there. He will be getting a substantial increase to go to Manchester City. He's signed a, a six year contract with them. Um, but to have done that deal for a net 30 million in the current market, I think is very impressive. And I think it's testimony to the way Manchester City are as well organised as anyone in the transfer market in the sense that they identify their targets. Um, they start work on them early. Uh, they're prepared to go as long as it takes to get the deal done in a, in a fashion that, uh, that suits them. Um, ideally, they'd have had Cancelo in earlier, so we'd have had the pre-season. But they've managed to shift a, a player they didn't want, get the player they wanted, and get him at a good price. And, and there's not many clubs doing that, particularly in England at the moment. Um, you know, just contrast that to what we are talking about with with Tottenham, who have budget to play with, um, and Manchester United um, trying to do extremely complicated, extremely expensive deals. Uh, in the very final days of, of the window, uh, some of which have on, only really been put into play in the last few days. It's interesting, Duncan, that um, City have, we, when we have talked about this, they recruit from a position of strength. So Rodri comes in as a long-term replacement for Fernandinho. Fernandinho re- uh, returns from the Copa America saying that he expects to play some games in central defence this season because uh, the club believe that they maybe he is the right answer to some of their um, let's just not problems but concerns in that position and then you've got other clubs and like Arsenal who seem to be selling defenders um, when in actual fact they need to be recruiting them. And Balassa obviously referred to Laurent Koscielny, uh, as well as Callum Chambers as well. And um, they still don't seem to have augmented their squad sufficiently to make anyone feel that they are going to be well prepared for the new season. 
Well, they've done they've done some very good business. I, I, mean, I think Nicola Pepe is potentially a fantastic signing for him if he continues the way he played in the last season in France. That you know that's a very significant upgrade in a player that a club like Manchester United held negotiations and discussions with um, with Lille about buying, and who Liverpool. Uh, Talked to the, the player's agent and were interested very much in, in taking if the if the circumstances could be made to work for them. So so they have um, they've done well in certain areas. I think Dani Sabalas from Real Madrid is, is a good loan move which could pay off for them. But you're right, uh, the defensive side of it, which you know going into the window, you would say if there's one area where Arsenal really needed to recruit, it was in defence. Um, they're still not there. Um, I think they've made a very intelligent attempt to uh, sign um, Dio Upamecano uh, from RB Leipzig, uh, French under-21 defender, who, um, talking to people who are paid uh, to recruit in these areas, um, rate very highly and think could could um, develop into a real top-class defender. In fact, you know, I was asking someone... If they were uh, if they were recruiting for Manchester United and, and were faced with the the fee that Leicester uh, eventually managed to get for Manchester United for Harry Maguire, who would they take as an alternative? Given that that price is, was clearly over the top for the player, and Upamecano um, was one of the the players that this um, this recruitment specialist said he would have recommended to United uh, in, in those circumstances. doesn't look like they're going to get him. I think RB Leipzig know the value of the player and, uh, and are not interested in selling. And you know, given how late we are in the window and where Arsenal's finances are, it seems that one's not going to be doable for them, which obviously um, leaves the question of whether they can get Kieran Tierney over the line, um, given their, their long-standing attempts to take him from Celtic this summer well indeed Duncan and my information is that Celtic are standing firm um, with Kieran Tierney in terms of the payment structure for the player they uh, have said all along that they require £25 million up front plus uh, the add-ons uh, of up to £5 million depending on um, performance related uh, for the player himself uh, at the moment Arsenal have yet to respond uh, to that demand because they've known it for now for up to 10 weeks. Uh, they've upped their bids on two occasions, but never to the level that Celtic have been satisfied with. So um, I think that one, again, is, 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 is alive in terms of um, it could still be done. But uh, given that Arsenal have known for such a long time what the terms are and they've yet to meet them, then you have to ask, uh, about their desire to actually recruit the player because um, they've been told quite specifically what it needs to get him. So um, let's just, uh, yeah, we shall see what happens with regards to Tierney and Arsenal going forward. Now, this is Wednesday's podcast, and as you guys will have noticed, it's normally your questions answered. Um, and what we've done instead is because all of your questions have been about deals happening uh, now until deadline tomorrow at 5pm, we've tried to try and cover all of the aspects of deals that are ongoing. Um, and we have given you the information which is entirely up to date at the co- at the, this point of recording um, as well. 
Uh, as I said before, at the top of the podcast, we will update you on deals um, in terms of movements on our Twitter handle, which is at Transfer Podcast, as well as with Duncan at Duncan Castles and me at Garbo SJ in what is a very, very busy time. The one thing that we're not going to give up on, though, of course, is the infamous Donkey Awards of Wednesday. And today we have decided, in honour of the great Peter Odenwingwe, that we're going to do Peter Odenwingwe's Deadline Day Disasters Award because this is the guy who was pictured driving to QPR or near midnight and then having to turn his car around to find that the clubs had not agreed a fee. So, um, Duncan, I'm going to give you the uh, three uh, nominations for the Donkey Award for Deadline Day Disasters. Let me just open up what is not a gold envelope, I should say. It's a kind of sackcloth and ashes award envelope today. I'm sure that sounded like ashes falling on the floor. (laughs) Uh, First nomination, Duncan, is the debacle, it can only be described as, um, of Andy Carroll joining Liverpool FC, Fernando Torres leaving Liverpool FC for Chelsea, and uh, how that ended up. Uh, for both clubs, I suppose we should say. The second nomination, a classic of administration uh, Armageddon, was when David De Gea had agreed a deal to join Real Madrid, uh, only to find that the administrative uh, paperwork, in this case, email paperwork, uh, with regards to his uh, departure to the Santiago Bernabeu and Keylor Navas, the Real Madrid Cooper, to Old Trafford, was filed late and therefore could not be confirmed, which meant he spent the next years at Old Trafford. And third, but certainly not least, would be Adrian Silva, whose transfer to Leicester City was timed out in terms of official international clearance by all of 14 seconds. Duncan, I think we've got some strong contenders here. It is transfer deadline week. Can you give us your winners? Very strong contenders. Um, De Gea, Kaylor Navas is a, is a particular favourite, um, given how many mistakes were made in, in trying to get that deal over the line and leaving it so late. Um, I, I particularly like the, the the attempt by Manchester United to uh, allow a story to develop that they deliberately didn't send the documents through on time because they really wanted to keep De Gea and um, and it was you know it was actually all strategic. And, uh, and planned in the first place, uh, something that everyone else involved in the deal suggests is completely rubbish. Um, Andy Carroll, Fernando Torres, another another favourite of mine, given the the, the, the hugely um, uh, intelligent, uh, if slightly unscrupulous, fashion in which Liverpool allowed Fernando Torres' deal to go to the wire so Chelsea couldn't give him a proper medical and they didn't find out that he was uh, never going to be the same player again before making that record transfer. It's a shame um, it turned into a double disaster uh, when they spent uh, a very big chunk of the money they got for Torres on Andy Carroll. Um, But I think in this case it has to go to uh, Adrian Silva because it's the only instance I'm aware of where a club has signed a player, the transfer had to go through uh, because they'd done that element of the documentation on time. 
but the documents that were needed for international clearance from FIFA uh, were not done on time, as you say, by 14 seconds. So they ended up with a player that they couldn't use um, for uh, half a season. And I particularly like the, the way that Adrian Silva chose as his short number after that um, 14 seconds cost them half a season of football, the number 14. It's one of the few intelligent ironies that we see in football when a player um, decides on that 14 number on the back of his shirt uh, to uh, illustrate his protest with regards to how he didn't uh, get to play for Leicester City for five months. We will bring this particular episode of the Transfer Window podcast to a close in the knowledge, as we've said before, that things are changing by the second, by the minute, by the hour. So please, please, when you listen to the podcast, take it in context. Go to our transfer at Transfer Podcast uh, Twitter handle to at Duncan Castles to at Garbo SJ for me so that we can update you continually as we will because we know that you rely on us for breaking the news before it becomes news. And that's what we will continue to do up until the deadline in the UK tomorrow evening. We'll be back on Friday with a full review of what the transfer business has meant for each club, um, as well as, of course, keeping you up to date with the European transfer window, which continues to be open for another three weeks in to the absolute amazement of our European friends who call transfer window in England Brexit Junior, as we have discussed. So, uh, from the, for now, um, we will say thank you for listening and we'll see you through the window on Friday. But as I said, keep up to date with us on Twitter, at Transfer Podcast, at Duncan Castles, at Garbo SJ. Thank you for listening. Hey.